been a stress, two, stressful day. <laughs> one, welcome back to another episode of AT Talks. This is Tom Barkowski. This is episode three on returning to sports. We have four guest speakers today. Very quickly introduce yourself and what setting you're in. I would appreciate it. I'm Kim Barbara Foss. work at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and I work at uh, a secondary school setting. I'm Tanya McKinney. I work at um, Abilene Bone & Joint, uh, full-time in the clinic, and then I contract to a small 2A high school locally. I'm Ashley Armbruster. I work at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which is a Division I FCS school. I am Leah Dorn. I work with Vibrant Care in the industrial setting, and then I also do some per diem high school work. So the last time I was at my high school, it was March 13th, and then we closed, and uh, the school's been closed since then, but we're opening up in a couple weeks, and we're going to try to have practices, but the world is not the same as it was. It's a fact. Any thoughts on opening up and going back to the, uh, the high school, the college, sports in general? I am cautiously optimistic that we will make this happen to the best of our ability. We haven't heard anything back um, yet as far as, as opening anything up or starting anything. Um, so I know here locally, we're still all kind of still calling it up in the air. Like I've gotten no guidance from the schools or, you know, from UIL or anything as far as, you know, if we're going to start in July, are they going to be able to do spring, you know, or, or summer practices or we just go as normal in August. Um, so it's still kind of all in limbo. Yeah, I'll let you go. Oh, um, I don't know. I'm very cautious about it because I feel like we want to open up the economy, but we also don't want to face the potential aftermath of a secondary spread. So. Yeah, I guess with me, like, I really want to be optimistic, but then, um, We've had like conference meetings and stuff and kind of trying to figure out because the difference from like the college to the high school setting is that in college, like we have kids coming in from all over the country. So like we have kids coming in from Colorado. That was a hot spot for a while. We have kids coming in from California, which California just um, made that big announcement about their state schools um, and LA County extended their stay at home orders for another three months. Um, so I know that there's a lot of questions like, from the collegiate level and like NCAA level on like, okay, well, can, um, can like this part of the country have practices and hold everything and open everything up when other places are still completely shut down. So like, does that create an unfair advantage, which like I said, is specifically for the college level. And then another thing that I'm honestly worried about is I feel like, okay, I guess not worried, but I just see that this will increase our job load a lot because who are going to be the people responsible for like screening athletes and making sure that they're healthy enough, like to come back to school or to participate in practices. We're going to be the ones doing that. So I know I've seen a lot of different places and they're doing like their like phase one, like schools and MLS and like all the organizations are doing like their phase one, two, and three. And part of it is like the athletes have to fill out a survey every single morning on like, do they have a fever? Do they have a cough? Blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and then like when they get in, like as soon as they get to the facility, they have to get their temperature checked. Like they have to do all these other things before they're even allowed like to practice. And I just see like a lot of that is going to fall on us. Um, and I know that it uh, seems overwhelming with me, like only, and I only have, I'll have 30 kids in the fall on my soccer team. Um, so I was thinking about it the other day, I'm like, oh my gosh, how would they even do that at the high school level? Cause like, would you literally have to temper check everyone before they go out to football practice? Like depending on what size school you're at, that could be 300 people if you're at like a 6A Texas high school. Um, so I think that this is a really good chance for athletic trainers to show our worth and show like all the difficult situations that we have to be in. Um, but it's just, and nobody's ever been through this before. So I guess that's like the scary part is like, I know that a lot of schools, like we had kind of like a pandemic plan in place um, for our like institution, which was mainly like the whole going online with classes thing. Um, but the whole return thing is just, and it's really frustrating when you feel the external pressures from like the government wants to open back up because for economical reasons and like college football plays a huge part in that. Um, my school doesn't have football, so we're not really dealing with that kind of pressure. Um, but there's a lot of people talking about like, well, if football season doesn't happen. Like I just saw the other day, like a DJ will cut their football program because like they're anticipating all the revenue that they're going to lose from fall enrollment and everything. So um but yeah, it's going to be a really interesting and just all the information is evolving so fast. And I think that's also what makes it hard to keep up with. Yeah, I really, uh, I really wonder how these elementary schools, middle schools and high schools are going to do it. You know, if it's six in the morning and you got all your bus drivers going to get on their buses, you know, is someone going to be there to test them? And then it's going to be seven in the morning and you're going to have uh, picking up hundreds of kids. You're going to take them all to the school and they all get tested there. And if a kid has a temp or has a symptom, you put them back on the bus and drive them home. Like what, what's the plan? I don't think we'll be testing. I think they'll have to do that in the beginning of school. And if you pass, you can go to school. But we know that there's a lot of asymptomatic people. So someone's going to have it. They just won't be having symptoms. So then is that going to just rapid fire, go through your whole school or your whole football team, your whole soccer program? Like, you know, another interesting thing that we're bringing with it. Sorry, I don't know why I'm echoing. Um, another interesting point with that is the amount of personal protective equipment that we're going to need. With how limited supplies are already, how are we going to get more of them to do all these preventative screens? Well, and even just stuff like getting thermometers and getting like not even just gloves and everything. Like I know a lot of places are moving to where they have like the forehead scan thermometers. So you're not dealing with as much um, like opening the mouth and like exposing yourself. But then it's like all of those are also becoming really rare um, to find. So, and not, I mean, I know our school doesn't have any of those. Like we just have the oral thermometer. So, um, so yeah, so getting a hold of all those and you have to have all that equipment in place before students actually come back. So it's not like you can get it, like, I know a lot of us, like, our financial period start, like, August 1, so, like, we're kind of, like, the middle of football, and that's when we start, like, receiving our things. Well, it can't be that way. So, um, and then it's also going to get interesting with, but a lot of budgets are being cut, so we're having to cut back on things, so then, like, 
How are you trying to balance out the things that you need versus, okay, now these are all the extra expenses that we need to help kind of cover this? Well, think, think about like in the secondary program, all those kids are going to come in that medical facility in that 30 minutes time frame. Yeah. So is it one at a time? You come in, what's, what's, oh, you need your ankle taped? Okay, let me clean the table, jump on the table, put gloves on, tape an ankle, throw the gloves away, clean the table. Next kid, come on in. Like, because that's not feasible. Yeah, it's it's like right now. I mean, I've been trying to think, and and like I don't even know. Like trying to figure out. Yeah, I've been trying to you know different scenarios and different stuff, and you know we're already with things in a normal situation. We're already time pressed, and we're already. you know, have all these expectations that we have to meet on a daily basis with our coaches and the admin and everybody else. And then, you know, now they're going to throw, you know, we're going to have all of that on top of it. You know, I mean, there's some days that, you know, when, when, you know, you plan out for 30 minutes to tape ankles and you have, you know, five extra kids that came in because they're sore, you know, and then that just throws the whole thing off. Well, now, you know, it's like, how much time do you allot, you know, for that? And, and the other thing is, you know, is like, you know, are we doing the screenings? Are the, the school nurses doing the screenings? Do we give them a questionnaire? And, you know, if you answer yes to any of these questions, you don't even come in. You know, do we actually, do we do just a paper screening? You know, and, and rely on them to tell the, you know, to tell the truth. Yeah, it's like, you know, especially on the limited budgets, because I, I I'm at a, you know, small two-way school. I mean, we got 200 kids in the high school you know, and, and not a a lot of budget. And so, you know, trying to buy the supplies and buy that extra stuff is going to be very difficult, um, you know, for that school. Sorry. I think at the high school setting, I think we'll be secondary screeners because I think it has to really be screened at the point of entry, which then would be like a school nurse or school personnel, which I fully think that we can also insist with that. But I think there'd have to be screened there, or even like Thomas brought up, screened on the bus before they even get onto the bus. Otherwise, they're bringing it with them along with everybody else on the bus to the school. I think all this, the screening, talking about the athletics, is all secondary to the screening that has to be done in the school scenario itself. I think those are all the first priorities and planning for athletic screening would be secondary to after we figure out how we're going to take care of these kids and screen them in terms of just a normal school day. Yeah, I guess, um, oh, sorry, my cat jumped up. Um, I guess that's like kind of what I like secondarily meant is because even like at a big 5A or 6A school, I mean, you only have one or two school nurses who are then responsible for like, are they responsible by themselves for screening 1500 kids? Like when they arrive on campus, like I think athletic trainers are also going to get pulled into that. Um, and I'm not sure like if they would get administration involved in some of that as well, like then you got to figure out, well, do you want to like have an online questionnaire that like the kids fill out on their phone before they get on the bus? Or do you want to do a paper screening or like, cause there's such like, varieties in the resources that are available to the students as it is um whether all of them have cell phones or whether all of them have internet at home and stuff like that um 
so I mean, there's, there's a lot. Yeah. Like you guys said, like, there's a lot to work through before we even get to athletics and that's the hard part. I'm a little concerned with the idea of like the paper screenings or like the electronic screenings, just because like, we all know that patient reported outcomes are usually either under exaggerated or over exaggerated. And the idea of a student athlete, particularly at the collegiate level, when they're already pressed, they have four years to make a difference. They have four years of time to participate, to potentially jeopardize, you know, a whole month of their season because they said yes to something. Like they said yes to having a fever. And then they end up like not even developing coronavirus. But I'd be concerned with the validity of it, I guess. Yeah, I, and I think tie, oh, go ahead. Ahead. I've I kind of tie into that because fever's been this forefront of what they're doing all the screening for. Yet is fever really the prime indicator? even if you are symptomatic. I mean, a lot of people testing positive never developed a fever. Is that really the prime symptom that we really need to worry about? I think they're just, I guess my take on it is they're focusing on the fever because that's like the only objective symptom that you can actually tell. Like anybody can lie about whether they had a cough or whether they had contact with someone or anything, but like I feel like out of the whole list of symptoms, like fever is probably the most objective that like you can actually check and see if they have. So I think that's just like, I'm not a fan of like stores and restaurants, like screening for temps before people enter and all that, because the fever is not a very reliable symptom. But I think that's just a way to say that they're at least checking something objectively versus just asking a person like, do they have this or this? So, and I think that also ties in with like, what the testing and like what the ano like the antibody testing is going to be like because if you're able to like if someone does have a fever and you're able to send them that day and get tested okay it's negative you can come back like that'll all be great but the problem is like right now in a lot of these places like a lot of places around the country like they don't have that um and the testing capabilities are getting better like i know in my area they've gotten a lot better but they're still not where they need to be in order for us to use that or to roll oh, i work at a I work at a small inner city school. If I have someone with a fever, I would literally have to be the person that would take them to get an antibody tested anyways, because yeah. it would be challenging to have, you know, a parent even take them. Yeah. So I'd have to take the time out to go take them in to get tested. Or trying to send them back home when, you know, parents will go to work or they, you know, they turn around and come back and pick them up. You know, and some of those kids that's, you know, parents work, you know, we look, or my high school's out in the country. And so, you know, a lot of those parents work 45 minutes, hour away at least, you know, from, from the school because it's in the middle of nowhere. So if they're working, if they're not on the farm, you know, working there, then they're, you know, working in the next town over, which, you know, even if they're, you know, if they're in the nurse's office puking, they still got to figure out how to come pick them up. Let's, let's move the time frame up instead of being when we're back in school, uh, like summer conditioning, summer practices where, you know, um, my school wants to go July 1st. They want to open up the facilities and start practicing. So then in that situation, I'm the frontline person. So you know there's not going to be any policies in place by the, the district, for most districts by then. So it's like, yeah. 
you, you just make just make it up as you go and that kid has a cough go home <laughs> well what about sanitation of those facilities as well i know most um like custodial systems are done when school's done like they don't come in over the weekends uh when we have tournaments there or they're not really coming in to clean up like you have to clean up after yourselves so who's doing that who's supplying that uh like the cleaning supplies and like how is that gonna work and what happens if one kid gets sick and they get tested and they're positive whole school close whole program's done all sports done yeah i mean that's like, yeah, especially the, the you know the smaller schools i mean i can see that them doing that because they're all you know so, i mean there's you know in you know each class has about 40 kids so those kids are all together all the time anyway mm -hmm. and so you know one of them comes down with it then i can see him you know shutting down the whole place you know and maybe now is a perfect time that i think that a lot of the health department should also be training tracers i think that's a huge area even where athletic trainers can be involved in as well Yes. Especially once we get back to our settings, being trained in how to trace back and track exposures, because I think that's going to be fundamental. And I think mm -hmm. it's a piece that's really getting overlooked right now in how we're preparing for it. Because say if you like a college campus, when you have a lot of students, a lot of buildings, you have somebody that tests positive. If you're able to actually trace and track back exposures, you may not have to shut down an entire campus. You can be able to better identify um affected people so i think that's really an, an area that is being overlooked right now and getting trace tracers in place i know like in ohio um, our governor put out a call for volunteers and paid people to um, act as tracers within the state and i think that's really what we need to start focusing on i think that's a great role that we can do as well yeah that's an interesting like perspective and my like the question that jumps in my head when you say that is how would we like i think at the high school it might be a little bit easier than at like a collegiate setting um how do you quarantine all those people like if you go back and trace you know ashley one of your soccer girls and she was in a classroom with 20 people here in a classroom with 15 people here and she sat right next to this person or like going back and tracing them yeah she lives in that and, dorm like well and here's also the problem is like all the student athletes typically live with their room with their teammates so that's like if one person tests positive okay we probably have an entire room of four and this room of four always hangs out with this room of four and hangs out with these people and these mm -hmm. other teams or there's like a communal um, kitchen or something yeah, yeah so i know that our like our student health center is i believe that's part of their like response plan that they're developing is trying to figure out what the quarantine procedures would be um i okay so i'm just speaking um anecdotally i would think that they're probably going to section off part of the dorms um and use those specifically for quarantine um, but do you have that much housing available like with some schools they have like i know that they have overflow housing they also have like a lower retention rate or whatever and whatnot yeah. but what about schools that are impacted 
Well, and I think another part of that is also like we're looking at potentially how many students that we're going to lose just in general. Um, Because I know a lot of schools, that's like, if they're not able to attend classes or they don't feel safe attending classes, okay, well, I'm just going to take classes at the community college down the road and stay at home so I can save money. And um, so I know that's like a huge budget thing that college athletics is looking at is losing all the money that comes just from enrollment. So, I mean, I know some schools were projecting even like a 10% loss on student enrollment for the fall, which would be huge. Um, so then they're like potentially might be that much housing opening up on campus. Um, but yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to figure out. Yeah. An another concern. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Yeah, it's fine. Do your thing. Oh, no, no, you're fine. I was another, another concern I have is that um, you're going to have all these schools. Well, you know, before going into this, what, like 60% of schools either don't have secondary schools, don't have an athletic trainer or have a part-time, and then you just either fired or furloughed a ton of people. So mm -hmm. are, are you even going to have the staff? And you can't just hire a new grad athletic trainer because none of them are taking the VOC. It's like if you if you're a hospital system like I'm in and we have 30 athletic trainers, like are we going to have 30 people to work all those schools? Yeah, well, that's yeah. a perfect perfect opportunity for each county, state, Department of Health to step in and say, in order to have a player institution, you have to have somebody that is trained to manage infection control. And hey, that perfect person is an athletic trainer. I think this pandemic aligns us to actually help really promote our profession and the worth that we have as being, you know, we take care of these athletic injuries, but guess what? We're healthcare providers and we can be your first line of defense in infection control. So maybe we started approaching health departments and say, we're your go-to person. You know, schools that want to have athletics and they don't currently have somebody in place, a coach cannot do this. They're not trained. We are. Maybe this needs to be mandated from the health department that an athletic trainer needs to be employed in these settings. Otherwise, it's not, it's a safety violation. Yeah. And I honestly think that's going to, I'm hoping that that's going to be a huge push um, in the coming months. I know, like, right now with a lot of athletic trainers being furloughed and all that, the big push on, like, athletic training in the NATA is that, like, we're able to help out in the ICUs. We're able to help out at hospitals. Like, we are being a lot more seen as healthcare providers rather than just someone who stands on the sideline and takes care of injuries. Um, absolutely. So I really hope it, Yeah. All the so pictures really that they've that. been posting. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. I mean, that's, and it's, it's perfect because it's very strategic because mm -hmm. now there is this public record and presence of athletic trainers in protective equipment dealing frontline with this. So now people are able to see us in that role. So the fact that um, they've been accumulating all these pictures and promoting them and putting us out there as a face of a frontline provider was a great strategic move in really aligning athletic trainers as healthcare providers. Yeah. I mean, what did you want to say? I don't remember what I was going to say. No, Tanya was going to say something. Oh. Her, and, her and Kim went at like the same time. All right. Well, at the, the school that I'm at, so we've got a lot in the Abilene area, we're kind of centrally located and then we've got a lot of 
small schools around us. So all of the, the big schools in town all have their own dedicated athletic trainers, but these small rural schools are, are the ones that we cover. And we typically are only game coverage. And so while I've been at the school for, I mean, I've been at the same school for 15 years um, and I, you know, know the community and part of the community and, and stuff, I'm still only at the school, you know, on game days. And so, you know, that's, you know, coming back to that 60%, you know, so that's leaving it on coaches and leaving it on, you know, principals and, you know, they've got a, one school nurse for the entire two, you know, the school, not just the high school, but the, the ISD. The district, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, so logistically for these smaller, you know, of course, I think in that county, that they, I mean, I think they've had two cases, positive cases in the county um you know the school is in so their exposure is not near as um high as some of the city schools but they're still you know it just takes one you know so yeah it's like you said earlier you, know, small, like you could see that one case would potentially close down the school and those right. rural schools and those smaller schools are going to be the ones that are going to have the heart i feel like have the hardest time adjusting right. to all this well, especially if your state is just very like, so I'm in Indiana and we're, we're opening up, you can go to restaurants and sit down and stuff. But if I go three miles West, I'm in Illinois and they're, they're locked down, locked down. So it's like, if that school gets a case, if those sports fall sports over in, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, they started opening stuff up here, you know, in Texas mm-hmm. and, um, we're all just kind of sitting and waiting to see what's going to happen. You know, is it going to, you know, are we going to have that second, you know, that, that second surge? Are we going to, you know, ride this one out and, you know, hopefully everybody's, you know, doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, but it's, it's, it's the same mantra with any other virus that's out there. If you're sick, stay home, you know, and, and the, the part about, you know, the, the COVID is that it's, you, what's different from the other viruses, uh, the incubation period of not having any symptoms is so much longer, you know, than the other ones. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, my, like I said, I just, you know, I kind of feel for my school because it's like, yeah, we want to get going and, and everybody wants to start and, and start back up. But then, you know, there's nobody there on a regular basis. And so I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, and I, and I think I think it's good that a lot of athletic trainers are having these conversations. But um, you're going to have to have these conversations with that the district nurses and with uh, mm-hmm. the athletic directors and the school boards. It's like if you don't have a, any kind of plan besides just thoughts in your head, and then all of a sudden you're on a football field for a practice, like this is going to get very bad very quickly. Yeah. So they, you know, um, I think, was that me echoing? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think right now, you know, especially for, like, so for the our smaller schools, you know, like where I'm at, where I, you know, a contract out. And so I'm not on campus on a regular basis. You know, right now is the time that we, you know, that we contact those ADs and, and we reach out to them, you know, as far as, okay, you know, have we started thinking about, the fall we started thinking about what you know these processes are 
you know, do y'all need more help? You know, do y'all need us to be there for more than just games? You know, do we need to be, you know, and, and start trying to push, you know, for that. But I know trying to get mine to contract to, you know, for them to pay for me to cover away games as well as, you know, for, you know, some other, other than football, I mean, I go for away for varsity football, but, you know, getting them to extend the contract to include other sports has been at times like pulling teeth. And so, you know, getting them to extend the contract for, to cover practices and to cover, you know, to be there more, you know, is going to be difficult. Well, we have just over two and a half minutes. Uh, so any other things anyone wants to say, anything that popped up on your brain, any thoughts, any concerns, any potential barriers? I think there's quite a few barriers, but I also think we're good at overcoming barriers. I mean, we tend to be a reactive profession where if the situation arises, we react to it. But I think now is the perfect time we really need to evolve and be proactive. Um, you know, we're, we're great with developing EAPs, policies and procedures. And I think this is just something that we need to literally think about and start having those discussions now with all the different stakeholders that are gonna be involved so that it's not July 1st or August 1st and camps are starting. And then we start the discussions then. I really think we need to start, you know, this is gonna be here for a while. We are gonna have a second surge. It's just a matter of prevalence and exposure. I mean, we know it's going to happen. It's not like it's just gonna disappear. Um, the extent of which we don't know, but it's going to happen. And how do we best handle and manage that? I think now is the time to kind of be proactive and try to get as many measures into place as we can in preparation. Yeah, I, I don't even know how like, like down there in Texas, if you, you got a football team of 300 kids and Friday night you bring in 10, 15,000 fans. Right. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to say, you're gonna say, hey, football's canceled this year. That yeah. those cities, those people are going to, they're going to lose. Or it. like even how well is it going to go over if you say, okay, we're going to have football games, but no fans. Yeah. That's not going to go over very town, well. The entire town shuts down on Friday night and they're all at the game. Like the whole place. Yeah. Well, we have less than a minute, so any second we'll get kicked out of this because I don't, I don't pay for this because I'm cheap and poor. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming on and talking about returning to sports. And then hopefully I see you in 30 minutes in the Wolfpack tonight. Sounds okay. good. All right. Have Bye. a good one. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye.